Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Today, I'm joined by my new co-host for the next three episodes, Dr. Netta Nikpour, all the way from Hawaii. And very excited to be joined by Dr. Guy Kazirian, a board-certified ophthalmologist, the founder of the Refractive Surgery Alliance, and board member of the Himalayan Cataract Project. Guy is one of the trailblazers who helped bring FDA approval for LASIK uh, to the United States. But he's also moved on to many other exciting things, which we'll discuss. And one of the most interesting things is the World College of Refractive Surgery and Visual Sciences, which is basically going to be declaring refractive surgery as its own super specialty, much like plastic surgery is to general surgery. So we're going to talk about that and much more coming up on Off the Grid. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm your host, Dr. Blake Williamson, and I am so happy to have my new co-host for the next three episodes of Off the Grid, Dr. Netta Nikpour from Hawaii. Netta, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Thanks, Blake. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait to to hear your thoughts. I've been wanting to have you on, and um, you know what I do is have my co-host join, and and it gives always these fresh ideas, uh, new guests, uh, new ideas, etc. And and you were very quick to name a couple people and a couple topics uh, that you wanted to be talking about. I know that later we're going to be talking to. Um, uh, Dr. Carl Stonecipher about these new presbyopia drops. We're going to be talking to Roger Zaldivar about Evo. We know that hopefully that'll be launching in the U.S. at some point. And one person that you brought up was uh, this guy that we have today. So I'd love for you to to introduce uh, our, our guest and talk about the topic. Yeah. So I'm really excited to have Guy Kazirian joining us. For those who don't know, Guy Kazirian is a board-certified ophthalmologist who has had a hand in many things that we use in refractive surgery and in ophthalmology um, and has been really instrumental in advancing the field of refractive surgery. So um, I first met Guy when I was the Himalayan Cataract Project Global Ophthalmology Fellow because he is on our board of the Himalayan Cataract Project. So um, we spent many hours working on a grant together and you know he's um, he really has a unique vision for how to treat refractive error and bring refractive surgery to the developing world and really help eradicate blindness in the developing world. So um, for me personally, that's, I think, one of the most unique things that I would love to, you know, have Guy share with the world on, on your podcast. Um, and then most people probably know Guy because he helped um, bring FDA approval for LASIK uh, to the U.S. and he started data link and position CEO, which I'll kind of let him talk about. But yeah, his newest thing that he's doing that I would love to hear more about is starting the World College of Refractive Surgery. So um, that's a little bit of an introduction. Uh, yeah, I guess, Guy, I'm curious if you want to start just by telling us a little bit about kind of your early years in ophthalmology and how you got involved from, you know, being a clinical ophthalmologist to doing all of these things and, and your trajectory of how you got here and where we're going next. 
Well, thanks, Netta and Blake. It's it's a pleasure to be with both of you. Really, it's uh, it's good to see you both. The um, you know the the genesis of how I came to be where I am is one of those um, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans stories. And it's been a it's been just an odyssey of following um, what what seemed to be necessary as I went along. I started as an ophthalmologist and was very involved early on with refractive surgery. I met Charles Casebeer as a young doctor and. Uh, was excited by his vision of refractive surgery, got involved with his teaching, um, and ended up starting the country's first refractive surgery only practice in Atlanta, Georgia in 1991, before the lasers. Um, did that for a few years, but then developed some health problems. So that led me to close the practice, and I wound up um, getting involved with the FDA studies that you mentioned. And, and one thing led to another where I became very involved in just trying to make it better. So we have DataLink, which I developed Jack Holiday and has been very successful in supporting surgical planning and, and it's still, you know, it's been uh, developed over the many years now as a mature program that's used in a lot of places. And then uh, in about 28 or nine, I decided that I would <clears throat> uh, get an MBA. And the reason for that was that I realized I'd been working in ophthalmology, which is a business, even though we like to think of it as a profession, it is a business. And I really didn't know much about the business. So I went and got an MBA at Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University, which is the, um, one of the unique MBA schools that, that really focuses on values and on team building and on marketing and things that really bring people together. So it was a good fit. And then started the Physician CEO program after that. And that really just changed my perspective on what medicine is and what ophthalmology is and, and led me to, to, to look at what's around us and, and see gaps. And so one of the gaps I saw was the way that refractive surgery works together um, and wasn't working together and tried to affect change on the culture with refractive surgery alliance. And that's been quite successful. It's a unique organization that uh, we can talk about more. I also then um, got involved with the Himalayan cataract project that you mentioned, which is really about trying to eliminate needless blindness, uh, needless blindness being those things which we can cure uh, and people were blind from. So unlike maybe a retinal problem or glaucoma that's just sometimes just trying to slow the progression of it, needless blindness is something that we can actually reverse and keep give people their vision back. So when you when you look at that, it turns out that um, over 90% of visual impairment in the world is caused by needless blindness, either either untreated refractive errors or cataract blindness and uh, and presbyopia being in that in that basket of refractive errors. So it, it, that, that really uh, realization really struck me. And I thought, wow, here we are as ophthalmologists focusing on 9% of, of causes of visual impairment, whereas we have this big opportunity in, in helping people to treat the 91% of visual impairment around the world. And that's what led me to be so passionate about the World College of Refractive Surgery and Visual Sciences and the Visual Freedom Foundation, which we've established now to try to address those those things. So it's all, it's been a journey. Um, it continues. I hope we have a few more chapters left, uh, but it's been something that uh, uh, really has been quite inspiring for me and I hope for other people to, to try to take on this cause. Guy, that's the, that's the word that I think about whenever I think about you is inspiring. Um, I remember being in like my first or second year of residency in ophthalmology at ACOS. I had no business being at ACOS. I didn't know half the stuff what they were talking about up there, but my dad said, you should come to this meeting. And, and I remember sitting back and watching you ask, you know, very uh, uh, curious questions. And, and it wasn't the same old, same old. You were actually, you know, uh, sort of uh, pushing it, right? Uh, you, were, you were challenging and you were uh, 
uh, had these big ideas and it was just, it was remarkable. And I kind of recognized you even, even then, Oh, that's different. You know? And I remember when I was giving a, uh, a talk or I was doing some type of ad board in Scottsdale, I talked to Luke Rebinich. I said, Hey man, I have a day. Is there, is there a practice? I have a free day here. Is there a practice I should go visit or someone I should talk to? And he said, Do you, did you, have you ever met Don Kazarian? I said, no. I, I, you know, and then he, he, he told me about who you were. I said, wait a second. That's the guy from ACOS asking those questions. Yeah, I said, we went hiking I'd love to go meet him. Yeah, we yes. went hiking. <laughs> so, so, so I called you and you picked me up and we went hiking. And, and, um, and it just kind of just blew my mind with some of the synergy we had. We started the Young Refractive Surgery Alliance and all that. And, and so, you know, truly inspirational is, is is what I would categorize you as. You, you're never you're, you're you're never comfortable. You're always kind of pushing forward, tip of the spear type of thing. And um, and a lot of that led to the RSA and everything that you've done there. And I think people are familiar, more familiar with that at least. And if they're not, they need to definitely check that out. I'm, I'm a been a member of that and been a part of that from you know for, for, since I've you know met you that day. But but this new organization, the WCRS, could you kind of talk about that a little bit about how that's different, something different than the RSA and sort of what the goals of, of the World College of Refractive Surgery is and, and why, um, you know, you think that we need to be doing this? I'll admit I'm, I'm, I'm a part of that as well, um, but I want to hear from you kind of why you think that we needed to do that. Sure. And thanks, Blake. Yeah, that, <clears throat> I remember that day. That was a lot of fun. And uh, it was I was as inspired by you, I think, as you were by me because I I saw the future when I was talking to you and I see your energy and your passion. And it was really, it was exciting for me to meet you and has been since we've done great, great things together. Um, the, the, the vision behind the World College of Refractive Surgery and Visual Sciences is the sense that, you know, I've been in refractive surgery since it's been modern refractive surgery in, in, in America anyway. Um, there are people of course who laid the groundwork before us with Fedorov and other people that, that paved the way in the eighties and seventies. But in modern refractive surgery, which, which I see as kind of at the advent of eczema laser procedures and refractive IOLs and other things that we're now using, um, we've, we've really had a wonderful time, haven't we? I mean, it's been fun. Uh, we are all involved with clinical studies and FDA studies and, and, and development of, of technologies and procedures and standards. But you know what, 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 um, what we forgot to do was to make sure that people were using it. So we, we had a great time developing technologies and, and, and were part of and contributed to joint, creating an industry. But <clears throat> that, that industry, that industry has, has really failed to thrive. Um, we, we have, uh, if you look at the ability of what we can do in correcting vision at every age, and, and, and this even goes to myopia control now with young, young people who've developed first myopia, going through distance vision correction in young adults with lasers and phacic lenses to presbyopia treatments. Now we have a whole, a whole new uh, opportunity with these drops, but also with refractive lens exchanges and refractive cataract surgery for older people. It's the whole span of the lifetime. And yet, um, how many people really access what we have to offer? Very, very few percentage-wise. And so the idea was, was that um, we have, for the first time in all of human history, the chance to change how people see the world and, and, and to get rid of a congenital defect of such functional importance and to do it safely on a mass scale. And I think that's one of the most important things that's happened in our time, but only will happen <clears throat> if we give it the energy and focus it needs. So when you look at the, the development of refractive surgery, we've got this nice global society of people, this, this organizations of, of people around refractive surgery, and, and um, we've really ignored the people we're supposed to serve. So the question I ask, and I, I've started to ask this question about 12, 15 years ago, about the time when we first met at ACOS, 
was to look at what needs to be done and just ask a simple question. And anyone who knows me knows I ask this question of them a lot, which is what would it take? What would it take? So what would it take to make refractive surgery be a primary care for vision correction? What would it take to have glasses, except for people who can't have their eyes fixed for some unusual reason, um, to have glasses become something they see only in museums? Um, and what would, you know, and, and that will happen. I, I guarantee that will happen. Uh, and hopefully it'll happen soon because we can affect so much in human productivity, personal safety, personal economics, uh, or occupational fitness, all these kind of things. Plus, now we're learning things like self-awareness, self, self, uh, uh, you know, perception, uh, confidence. Even in older people now with cataract surgery, we're learning that that delayed cataract surgery leads to higher dementia, increased chance of falling. And, and breaking limbs that lead to you know hips and that sort of thing, which lead to early death. There's all kinds of impacts that go beyond the obvious of helping people to see with our work. And so the question is, what would it take? And what would it take, I think, comes down to one word. And it's kind of a double entendre, but it's focus. It would take focus. It takes us to be able to focus on refractive surgery as a specific worthy pursuit. And so the World College was formed primarily to be able to declare refractive surgery as a super specialty in ophthalmology. So we're not leaving ophthalmology, we're not divorcing from ophthalmology, but we're kind of over ophthalmology. You have to be an ophthalmologist to be a refractive surgeon. But then when you start to ask that question, you say, okay, we have to be new skills, new awareness, new abilities, new treatment modalities, new delivery models, new everything, new technologies and everything else that we have. You then say, well, if that's the case, then what else does it take? And what else does it take is a workforce, right? We have to have collaboration with optometrists, with technicians, with business people, even with politicians and, and policymakers in order to be able to create the infrastructure and the systems to allow us to achieve that goal. So the World College is about defining a new industry. It's not just about a specialty. It's about defining a new industry. And in that, in that industry to, to say, okay, we, we can shed all the legacy practices that got us into where we were and not you know, that old book, what got you here won't get you there and what determine what's gonna get us there um, because what's gonna get us there is a completely new structure in the way that we work with each other, which is why we called it A, the world college. It's not the US college or any specific local area. It's the world college. It has to develop developed and developing world and it take everyone to participate college, because it's really about academics, it's about standards, it's about training, a refractive surgery writ large, that's all stages of refractive surgery, and visual sciences, which brings in the optometrists, it brings in the innovators, it brings in the technologists, it brings in the engineers, it brings everyone together, because that's the definition of this field of refractive surgery, is that encompassing field. So the vision, Blake, is to bring refractive surgery to the world as primary care for vision correction. And the, the um, purpose of the World College is to give it the focus it needs to get there. Guy, I think um, Blake's comments about hearing your questions and hearing your questions, you know, it echoes how you think differently and ask questions that no one else is asking. But that, you know, the fact that you're creating the World College or have created the World College of Refractive Surgery to, you know, really bring refractive surgery into the world as its own specialty and standardize the you know level of care we're giving is is wonderful because I think one thing that I've learned from you indirectly through Alan from some of the conversations that you've had is that you know 
Kellogg teaches that we should grow the pie and we shouldn't necessarily try to compete with other people. And I think what you've done with the Refractive Surgery Alliance um, and with starting physician CEO really kind of speaks to that. And, and similarly with this, um, I feel like there's so many refractive surgeons that are often competing with each other and advertising that, oh, my laser is better or this technology is better, which is really kind of limited the growth of refractive surgery. Um, and I you know, was in the first module of physician CEO last year, and I'm really excited to start and complete hopefully the entire course this coming year. So um, how, how do you feel like Kellogg changed the way that you think um, because a lot of these questions that you're asking, you know, I've done a little bit of public health work and in public health, you don't just think about your narrow part of your piece of the puzzle. You have to think about everything else. And I feel like the way that you're treating refractive surgery is trying to figure out, you know, you talk about working with policymakers. There's so many different facets of bringing refractive surgery to the world. It's not just go and get on TV or get on the radio and try and advertise to patients and get patients to come. You have to, you know, reduce or eliminate the bad apples that are leading to bad outcomes. You have to elevate the quality of care. Um, but how much of that came from Kellogg and how do you think physician CEO plays into, you know, educating refractive surgeons and, and bringing refractive surgery to more people? Because I agree, I think if we could eliminate glasses in our lifetime, that would be an audacious goal that maybe we can accomplish. Yeah, it's a, it's a very insightful question, Meta. Thank you for asking it. You know, business school doesn't really teach you very much. There are some certain skills and certain, um, you know, techniques and, and specifics about accounting and finance and marketing that you have to learn the concepts. But what they really do is they reframe your thinking. So it, it, they just make order out of chaos. They let you see patterns and frameworks to help you organize things. And one of the things that, that always confused me until I got to Kellogg was the difference between ophthalmology and refractive surgery. And there's two major differences. And, and it all comes under this big umbrella of what Kellogg calls strategic alignment. So in, in Kellogg's, Kellogg's an unusual business school and business schools have their own characters and um, they're all great, but, but Kellogg's really is about growing the pie and not cutting the pie. Kellogg is about, Kellogg teaches this concept of, of strategic alignment and, and which they would define as making it where I do better because you do better. And so instead of competing with you, make it possible for you to succeed where I can succeed even more because you're succeeding. And that's a, that's a fundamental concept that I didn't have before I, I, I saw it, I, I, you know, you kind of knew it, but I didn't really know how to define it. And that really helped me a lot. So they made me, it made me realize that there's two main differences um, between refractive surgery and in uh, ophthalmology that needed to be addressed and separated for, for refractive surgery to prosper. One of them was that, that is for, as ophthalmologists, and we all love ophthalmology and it's important, it's incredibly important work. Um, it's, about, it's about mainly stopping loss. It's about pathology. It's about pathology oriented treatments to prevent further loss. Most of the times, or maybe you can recapture some loss that occurred like a, a, a fracture or a, a punctured globe, or maybe there's a cataract or you've got some UVIs going, but you're mainly trying to preserve what's still there and keep it, keep it alive, keep it going, right? Whereas refractive surgery is about performance. It's about making things better than they ever were. So it's pathology compared to performance. It's a fundamentally different mindset, which is why I think so many ophthalmologists recoil at the idea of refractive surgery, because they're so focused on not having loss 
that they oftentimes may forget about achieving gain. And, and we as, uh, as refractive surgeons take eyes which a, an ophthalmologist who's looking for pathology and doesn't yet understand or hasn't processed the fact that eyes are meant to see and to be, in, see, to be able to see, they have to be in focus and therefore refractive areas are pathology. Um, but they don't recognize refractive areas as pathology. And they look at what we do with refractive surgeons and they say, how can you operate on a normal eye? Of course, we as refractive surgeons don't see it as a normal eye because we think an eye is supposed to see. So there's that fundamental difference there. And the second fundamental difference is that if you're treating pathology, there's only so much pathology to go around. So ophthalmology has become competitive. And you see this in every subspecialty where they're, they're competing with each other, trying to capture market share. They're trying to do all the patients in their community and who's got the most volume. And it's all about, it's all about competition. Whereas refractive surgery is a new growing field. It's about, not about market share, it's about market growth. And so if, if I have a person and I've seen this over and over again around the world, a refractive surgeon in an area, they might do okay. But then suddenly a couple of more refractive surgeons come in or even God forbid, one of the laser chains come in, right? And suddenly that perception of God forbid goes to thank God because they come in and they advertise and do things to grow the market and they make it okay. And so now I get this mall effect. I get more than one person doing something. They're no longer an oddball. Now they're part of a growing industry. And if you look at refractive surgery and what we have to, to treat, there is no competition within refractive surgery. The only competition we have is outside of refractive surgery. It's glasses and contact lenses. And those people who would, who would you know, speak against what we do to provide so much value. So those two things were perceptions that I would not have had without spending time at Kellogg and looking at the concept of strategic alignment and understanding, because every, every time I went to a lecture, I would say, well, how does this apply to refractive surgery? How does this apply to refractive surgery? And, 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 and that's, I spent the whole two years there and I talked to the, every professor about it to the point where I think they thought I was a little bit of a, of a, of a obsessed about it. But, you know, but, the, but the reality is it all applied to refractive surgery because it was all about this concept of understanding the difference between the mindset of performance versus pathology and the mindset between market share and market growth. And when you put that together, then the Refractive Surgery Alliance, so named out of Strategic Alliance, Refractive Surgery Alliance came and became obvious. And now that we've achieved that culture change that we have by having a doctor funded, member funded organization that's brought together ophthalmologists, optometrists, executives, residents, and now technicians under the umbrella of a society about refractive surgery, because that's what refractive surgery needs. And now the World College becomes, let's make this global and do the things that the, the societies like the RSA cannot do. And let's make it about standards and about education and about, and about scale and about impact. And so those are the things that the World College is doing. And of course, the Visual Freedom Foundation the companion organization, the charity that's next to the World College will be doing the developing world work. So all of those things go together. And I hope that everyone who hears this podcast and everyone who hears about the college in general will understand that the college is really support, there to support everyone involved in refractive surgery. So it's gonna support all the exact existing societies, including RSA, but ASCRS and ESCRS and ISRS and APO, all, the, all of them is gonna support all of the societies by providing resources, by providing curricula, by providing accreditations and other things to help them to bring more people into the umbrella of refractive surgery and help that to grow. Guy, I want you to address um, that, that surgeon that may be listening to this podcast and thinking, 
Yeah, I'm not so sure. Or I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence. Um, you know, I, I think that in terms of, you know, refractive surgery being a super specialty, I mean, I think you already said, think about plastic surgery from, from general surgery. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I don't think you'll have anybody that questions that. Maybe you will, but that seems reasonable just by showing that example. I mean, I don't do any general ophthalmology anymore. I'm just doing refractive surgery pre-op, post-op. But there will be some people that are sitting there thinking, well, gosh, I'm a member of ASCRS. I'm a member of ESCRS. I'm a member of the ISRS, whatever it is. So for those people who are listening to this, how, how is the World College going to be different? You know, are, are they no longer going to be a member of ASCRS if they join this? Can you kind of address some of those questions that you're probably going to get? Sure. The goal of the college is to grow ASCRS, is to grow all the other organizations. It's because those are the organizations which, first, for many people, first expose them to refractive surgery. And those are the organizations that will provide the foundational education that goes into people becoming involved in refractive surgery. So the difference though, is that, you know, American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. And this is, this is a, a comment that, that I think once you hear it, it makes sense, but when you first hear it, it sounds a little bit odd, but there are people who still think about cataract surgery as not being refractive surgery. This is amazing to me because cataract surgery is fundamentally refractive surgery. And, and yet there are people who are happy to take out a cataract and leave someone with a refractive error, which is completely unnecessary in, in today's age. We can, we can finish the job with other technologies or with better IOL occasions or, or surgeries, all the things that we have that we can make the better, uh, a better refractive outcome and give everyone a refractive outcome. We have the ability to give people vision at all distances, even if you don't want to use a multifocal. I have blended vision with a distance and near eye and I have full stereo and I see great and I never wear glasses. Um, but people, people um, will sometimes forget about the refractive part of it. So when we have organizations that, that include general ophthalmologists as all of our societies do, and they don't have that focus that we need to bring refractive surgery to the next level, those are really important organizations to have. But when the focus is required, we need to have specific focus on refractive, which means that we can't, you can't be full-time at one thing and still be part-time at several other things. And most ophthalmologists will not be specifically refractive surgeons. I mean, how many, how many surgeons are there compared to plastic surgeons? Probably, I don't even know, but it's probably 10 to one or maybe more. There's a lot more surgery that's needed to be done than just plastic surgery, which is both, both cosmetic and reconstructive. But in, in refractive surgery, there'll still be a lot more surgeons doing, a lot, a lot more people doing ophthalmology than doing refractive surgery. But those doing refractive surgery will be specialized. And they will be, of course, able to meet the requirements of refractive surgery, which is, you know, to be, to be you know, quite blunt about it, is, is, is a much higher demand for surgical excellence than you have in general ophthalmology. We can have, you know, in, in ophthalmology, you can have a complication. We actually have courses called complications and, and talking about complications. In refractive surgery, you have to get to the finish line. So you can have variations, but you can't have complications. You need to be able to finish that job and fix that. And frankly, there's most, there's very, very few things that, that happen in refractive surgery that can't be fixed. So you may be a little bit different journey to get to that endpoint, but but we don't have complications in refractive surgery. We can't afford to if we're going to reach our goal. So I think that the, um, the ophthalmologist who, who has yet to appreciate how far refractive surgery has come, the ophthalmologist who has yet to understand the impact that having a brief, an uh, amotropia uh, cured, having whether it's hyperopia, myopia, mixed astigmatism, or even presbyopia, having that cured, how that much what effect that, effect that can have on a person's life. 
on, on every regard, safety and all the other things I talked about, occupational fitness, economics, to have that, who hasn't appreciated that yet. The ophthalmologist who still thinks of, of refractive surgery as elective or cosmetic, as opposed to functional, which it fundamentally is, those ophthalmologists, I think, will come into refractive surgery and become made aware of refractive surgery through all of our societies. And then when they start to see what we are, there'll be two things that the societies will do. They'll, they'll give them their foundational training, and hopefully they'll change their perceptions about refractive surgery and help them to realize how important it is in the future of ophthalmology. You know, Guy, one of the most impactful things I've ever seen is watching a patient who has a white cataract in Ethiopia or somewhere in the developing world see for the first time in years. And I think watching somebody who was, you know, a minus nine or a minus 15, and you've now done an ICL or a lower myope, you've done LASIK, see without glasses for the first time is equally impactful and is really breathtaking in its own way. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people may see the impact of one, but not the other. And you're a person who sees the impact of both. Um, and I think everything that you've said about, you know, essentially you can't have complications and you have to, you have to be an excellent refractive surgeon to advance the field of refractive surgery is particularly true in places like Ethiopia. Um, and I know the Himalayan Cataract Project and especially you are really involved in bringing refractive surgery to Ethiopia for the first time essentially. Um, and that is gonna be incredibly important, making sure that those surgeons are really well-trained and it's a completely different mindset being a refractive surgeon. And there's many, many skilled ophthalmologists in Ethiopia who've been trained by HCP um, who now have to learn to think completely differently. And I would love to hear your thoughts on how that process is going to go in you know, building a refractive surgery center of excellence in Sub-Saharan Africa and how that fits into the overarching picture of you know, eliminating cataract blindness and needless blindness from other causes. Um, and if you can talk a little bit about impact investing, because I think that was something that was new to me that I've heard you talk about that is, is really um, kind of novel in you know, bringing that to the developing world as well. Yeah, thanks, Ned. A couple of, couple of great questions. And and ones that we could spend hours talking about. So let me give you a quick a quick overview of that. Um, you know, the, we have a, with the Himalayan Cataract Project, which was started by Jeff Tabin and Sandak Ruet 26 or seven years ago, um, and has blossomed into having multiple hospitals that they built around the world or facilitated around the world and at least 12 residency programs and, and, and really about sustainability. It's not just about coming in and doing surgery, but it's about training people to be there and to do surgery and to continue the work. That's about sustainable models for, for, for ophthalmic care. Um, the, the bias has always been about quality. So we can't go in and just use all of our old equipment and you know, do a half, a half uh, you know, modern job on what we wanna do. It has to, be, has to be really good and quality and safety are, are top. And we've proven through Dan Reinstein's leadership in, in uh, Nepal with the Toganga Eye Institute and this center that we established, that they established there in 2012. It has, it has been uh, extremely impactful on providing care for uh, using mainly smile, but doing refractive surgery to give people uh, uh, glasses-free vision. And they've done it extremely safely where they have yet, knock on wood, have yet had to have one serious complication. So it's been incredibly well done, incredibly carefully done. We have to bring that same standard everywhere. The only way we're gonna make it happen around the world is by doing it well, because it's all about trust. and. You've heard me talk about the airline industry and, and uh, 
how they took what was a very struggling airline industry in the early 1960s, where people would buy single flight insurance policies because they thought the, the flight might crash when they were at the gate, um, to now where we get on the airplane, we don't even think about asking, gee, was that pilot trained or is this airplane safe? Because we developed such confidence in the safety of the system. We have to get to the same point and to build that same trust in refractory surgery for the world's population to give us their eyes to be able to give them good vision and to entrust their eyes to us. So that, that is what the college is about, is that standards and that safety. But that applies equally to the developed and the, and the developing world. And it's, it's something that um, you know, we, we have to all agree is the priority, which is safety. And that trust will only come when we convince people of that safety. Uh, as far as impact investing goes, big question. Um, what that simply says is, look at what, what needs to be done and see if your business aligns with it. And if it does, look at the people who are gonna benefit from the work that you do and get them to help you support it financially. So impact investing, um, for example, with blindness, uh, we could take, let's say in Ethiopia, um, if we said to the Ethiopian government, we, we're gonna cure 100,000 100, of your people who have cataract blindness who are unable to function right now, require two and a half people to care, take care of them every year. They're not functioning, they have higher accident rates, they're causing car accidents and everything else. And, and, and we're gonna cure them. We're gonna give them perfectly functional vision back. That's, you can put a dollar value on that. You can say that economically is gonna return so much to Ethiopia in terms of improved productivity and whatnot. I mean, globally, the numbers on lost productivity from visual impairment are in the trillions. It's amazing every year. So we can take each country and say, this is, this is your share of lost productivity. And we're gonna return that by restoring vision to these people. Put and put in the whole concept of impact investing is to say, well, after we've done that, after it's been audited and embedded that it's actually been done, you will actually release funds, maybe 10% of that value that we return to you. And that allows us to do more of that work. Um, there's a great book called Impact by Ronald Cohen, which goes into this great detail. It's something I, worth, I recommend reading. But that whole concept of impact investing is gonna be the future of capitalism in my mind. And it's gonna be the future of how we drive um, change for these things, which otherwise would be unrecognized as being profitable. You know, Giving sight back to some poor person in Ethiopia may not be profitable, to you giving the site back, but it's very profitable, just looking at a pure economics to the country that they live in. And so try to capture some of the value that you're creating for the people you're creating it for and return it back to the people who are funding your work and you become a perpetual motion machine where you can keep growing and you can scale. And that's the concept of impact investing. I love it. Well, as we're wrapping up here, you know, I think that one thing that, that stood out about the World College is that you're going to have optometrists involved. And we've been vertically integrated from the beginning. Our practice was started by optometry. My grandfather was an optometrist. And, you know, they do the majority of the visual exams, the refractive exams uh, in this country. So they've always been sort of the gatekeepers. So I think that's going to be such a huge part uh, of having it. Uh, you know, any final thoughts, Netta, uh, that, that, uh, that you wanted to say wrapping up? Uh, you know, it's funny, I was actually thinking the same thing. And one of the reasons that I got really involved in refractive surgery after finishing my global fellowship was because I realized as a single provider, there's only so much that you can do. And the Himalayan Cataract Project model, you have one surgeon and many, many ancillary staff supporting you to be able to do, you know, a thousand cataracts in a week with four surgeons. And in the US, our version of that is a co-management model. And, and I think you're absolutely right. You couldn't do this without optometrists. So having them integrated in the World College of Refractive Surgery is, is brilliant. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Guy, I'll give you the last word. Uh, maybe you could tell people where they could learn more about the World College. Sure. And, and, and I want to just acknowledge and thank your father, Chuck Williamson, who is one of the wise men of ophthalmology, who really has 
had a lot to do with the, with the um, design of the World College of Refractive Surgery and continues to. Uh, the you know, thing that, that I want you all to keep in mind as well is that it's not just about surgeons and optometrists, but it's also about technicians and innovators and scientists and delivery models and business people and even governments and policymakers. All of, and, and NGOs, all of us have to contribute to this in a newly defined industry, in a new structure. So um, the, the website for the World College is WCRSVS, World College of Refractive Surgery and Visual Sciences.org, WCRSVS.org. And um, there's some information up there about that. Uh, of course, I'm always available to talk about this anytime with the job of a hat. So anyone who, who wants to contact me directly, Guy1000 um, at uh, surgivision.net or, or G Kazarian at WCRSVS.org. I will reach me and uh, I'm always available to, to answer questions and to work with anyone who wants to work on this project and align with us because it's all about alignment. Fantastic. We appreciate you. Big ideas and the future is bright with a lot of exciting times coming up. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Guy Kazarian and our host, Dr. Nick Poor, for, for joining us. This has been another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Thank you to Dr. Kazarian for joining us on this episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Until next time.